All right, if you'll stay standing for the reading of God's Word, uh, we're going to be in the Blue Bibles on uh, page 475. Uh, the verse is Matthew 10, 1 through 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, we'd love for you to keep that Bible uh, uh, as a gift from us. Um, uh, yeah, feel free to take it home with you. All right. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles were first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew or Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, use... Uh, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Thus says God's word. Thank you, Zach. Um, would you pray with me, please? Father, uh, as always, I commit this entire time to you. I ask that anything that I say that is not of you would be quickly forgotten, that you would cleanse my, my mouth, Lord, that I would speak your truth alone, and that I would glorify your Son alone. Um, in his name we pray, amen. Well, um, as always, um, what a privilege it is to address you uh, from the Word of God. As uh, Pastor Dave said, uh, Mark and Ginger uh, will be back uh, next weekend. Uh, they have uh, been on a much-deserved and needed vacation, and please continue to pray for them that, that they would be refreshed and rejuvenated and return in the power of the Spirit, ready to proceed with what the Lord has for them. Um, I have uh, received only a few text messages from uh, Mark, uh, encouraging messages on on the Sundays that I've been preaching, but he did send me one humorous one. Um, uh, he texted me and said, finally, I saw some native wildlife, and it was a picture of a feral cat. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that means I haven't seen any native wildlife that I expected to or what, but it was it was really funny to, to get that from him. Well, um, if you were, were with us last week, if you'll uh, remember, we began uh, looking at uh, Mark chapter 6. And uh, the title of last week's message was Unbelievable Unbelief. 
And we looked at uh, Jesus' second return, second visit to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, neither visit went well. Um, about a year earlier, he had come to Nazareth where he had kind of launched his ministry, began his public ministry alone, and uh, was not well received. They tried to kill him. And uh, in the year that followed, he uh, gathered his 12 disciples. Uh, they began studying under him, under his tutelage, and learning about the kingdom, learning about uh, salvation. Uh, and about a year later, he returned the second and last time to his hometown of Nazareth. And again, it did not go well. Um, they outright rejected him for no good reason. And the scriptures say that he marveled at their unbelief. We, we learn that uh, if anyone should have believed in him, it should have been those in his hometown. And they rejected him a second time, and uh, he pulled up stakes and moved his, the base of his ministry to Capernaum and never returned uh, to Nazareth uh, for the purpose of ministry again. And uh, we also learned that the second time that he arrived back at Nazareth, this time his disciples were with him. They had spent about a year with him, as I said, learning what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he brought them back with, with him this time for the purpose of seeing what it was going to be like to be in the ministry. And they witnessed him being rejected uh, by the very people who should have accepted him. And I kind of told you, kind of tantalized you a little bit that, 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 that on the horizon was the next big launch in Jesus' ministry. And that was when he was going to send his 12 disciples out to minister on his behalf, in his name, and without him with them. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. Um, now, we were in Mark chapter 6 last week. Um, I decided to use the corresponding verse in Matthew because Matthew really gives a whole lot more detail than Mark does. Uh, this is one of those passages in the scripture where uh, all three of the synoptic gospels that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them record uh, this event uh, with various levels of detail. Uh, Matthew is the, is the longest. Um, and uh, uh, in uh, Mark 6, Matthew 10, our scripture, and then in Luke 9. And uh, I also wanted to just say before I uh, begin that if, if, uh, if you're a student of the Bible, uh, you know that this happens sometimes. There will be the same uh, account of, uh, of, of an event in several of the Gospels. Um, all four of the Gospels, there are, there are some things that are common to all four of them, and then there are things that are unique to all four of them. And so sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to put the pieces together from the four Gospels. And so if you're a student of the Bible, um, in addition to your study Bible and, and whatever other resources you use, uh, lexicon, concordance, uh, Bible dictionary, etc., one of the resources that I would recommend to you is uh, called A Harmony of the Gospels. And what this book is, is it's the editors took the four Gospels and they meshed them all together in one long, continuous account of the Gospels. And so they will take this event from this gospel, and okay, this one happened next, and they'll put it here. Okay, this one happened next, and they'll put it here. And uh, in, in the cases where there's the same event in more than one gospel, they put them all side by side 
on the same page and even line them up at the verse level. And so it makes it very easy for you to take uh, an, an event or, or a story or something and see how that flows through the Gospels. So I just in passing just want to recommend that to you if, if, if you're a, really a student of the Gospels. Now, uh, today's uh, sermon is titled Trial Run. Um, and that should be obvious about what's going to happen here. It's the very first time that, that the, apostles, the, the uh, disciples have gone out uh, commissioned by Jesus. And uh, we understand this because, uh, say, uh, a naval vessel is being constructed whenever it's, uh, uh, they finish it in the dry dock and they're ready to give it a test. They take it and they send it out on its sea trials and kind of work out the bugs and, and see how it performs. And they, and they trial it. Uh, the same thing happens uh, with aircraft. If you're going to buy a car, you're probably going to give it a test drive, right? Before you buy it and figure out you know, how healthy is it, how, how does this work, uh, and then come back and then you make a decision, make some adjustments. And that's what's happening here. Is Jesus is about to commission his disciples to go out on their trial run. Um, and he, he, he sends them out specifically uh, for the purpose of preaching the gospel, preaching the news of the kingdom. He also instructs them that they are to heal the sick that they are to raise the dead, that they are to um, cast out demons, these other things that surround the gospel. But the, but the primary focus is to preach the word of the kingdom. Um, in Matthew, uh, his account, he says, that preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark, uh, he says that, that they are to call people to repent. And in Luke, they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, he commissions them because he himself is the king. It is his kingdom, he is the king, and he personally commissions them and sends them out for the task that he is giving them to do. This uh, word in the Greek, to, to send them out, to send out, is the same word, that, that's the verb form of the same word where we get our word apostle. Because the word apostle, an apostle is a sent one. And so he sent them out, same word there, as his apostles to preach the kingdom. They, they are to be um, his emissaries, um, his ambassadors, his personal representatives. Uh, we understand that in monarchies of the past, this is a common thing where the king would have a representative who he would send on his behalf. And the expectation was that that representative represented the king perfectly and the king expected a response to them as if he personally were the one there. Um, our, our modern equivalent would be uh, like an ambassador to another nation or an ambassador to the U.N., um, that they are expected to be treated as if it were uh, our president himself who were there speaking. And in Mark, it specifically says that he sent them out two by two. Now, what that implies, obviously, is that he personally selected those pairs. Um, his reason for sending, sending them out two by two, there, there were several. One is for mutual encouragement, that they could encourage one another. If one of them is down, the other one may be up. If this one is up, maybe this one's down, kind of like a marriage, right? Because it's commonly like that in my marriage. Cherry's up and I'm down, or vice versa, and we can encourage one another and support one another. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Also, the scriptures um, say that every 
fact is to be confirmed by two or more witnesses. This is kind of a legal standing here. If, if, if the two apostles go out together, this one perhaps is more outgoing than the other. And so he preaches the gospel and this one can say, yeah, what he said. Yes, it is true. I witness that what he says, you can believe it. It is true. Another reason that he, that he sent them out two by two. And there are many um, examples of this in the scriptures. Uh, if you remember the book of Acts, uh, well, the gospels as well, Peter and John are often paired up. Kind of an odd couple. I mean, those are the bookends on the apostles. I mean, Peter is this brash, salty fisherman, outgoing, loudmouth, arrogant guy. And John could not have been more opposite. I mean, he is the disciple whom Jesus loved and, and laid on his breast uh, the night of the, of the betrayal. And those guys are paired up. Wow. It's also like a marriage, isn't it? <laughs> um. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, remember the Holy Spirit in Acts, said to them, separate out for me Paul and Barnabas to the work that I have called them to. They paired up and taking John Mark with them, they went on the first missionary journey in the book of Acts. Um, Later, when they had returned, and um, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the churches and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along. Paul said, ain't no way. He deserted us the first time. He's not coming. Barnabas said, he needs a second chance. Paul said, no. Barnabas said, yes, no. And the rift between them became so great that they split. And um, Paul took Silas. There's another pair. And he went this way. Barnabas took John Mark. And they went this way. And the, gospel, the reach of the gospel was doubled. It's a shame that it had to happen that way. But God even used that to further his kingdom. So you can see the, the precedent here of, of sending out in pairs. Um, and as I said earlier, he individually selected those pairs. There was this marvelous diversity among the disciples, of course, as we know. Peter was a fisherman as well as several of the others were fishermen. Um, a tax collector, Matthew. Um, Simon the Zealot. I mean, borderline terrorist, if you will. Um, and Judas, a betrayer. This marvelous diversity, and he paired them up as he so chose. And let me just say, by the way, as a side note, um, when we began uh, live streaming several months ago, I think Pastor Mark had mentioned several times this video series called The Chosen. Um, if you've not seen that, you really should watch it. Um, you, can, it you can watch it uh, if you have a, a smart device, a phone or a tablet. If you use the app, I think you can watch the entire series, the season one, for free. Um, they also have a DVD. Uh, you can watch it online. And The Chosen is, is about the life of Jesus. And he's certainly there, but it really focuses on the perspective of the disciples and really develops their individual characters and their humanity and, and what they might have been like. Obviously, a lot of speculation is in there, but they did a marvelous job of showing you the humanity and the sinfulness of these guys. Those of you that have seen it would probably agree with me that they really surprise you with Matthew, the tax collector. They, he does not come across at all like I had thought that he would, and it was really interesting. So just I really uh, um, um, recommend that you uh, watch that, The Chosen. Jesus gave his disciples power. He gave them power and authority to uh, deliver from demons to heal sickness. It was his authority. He gave it to them. And what that authority means is they have the right 
to do it and the responsibility to do it. So they can do it, they should do it, they must do it. And he commissioned them, proclaim the kingdom, heal, cast out demons. In other words, they ministered to people's spiritual needs and they ministered to their physical needs. They ministered to both. They did not minister just to physical needs, neglecting physical needs, nor the opposite. They did not minister physically, neglecting spiritual. They're both tied together. They ministered to both. The miracles that they performed, though, and be cautious here, the miracles that they performed were to be in support of the gospel. The miracles were not an end in and of themselves. They were to validate and to support the gospel. It's the message of the kingdom that he commissioned them to take. Repentance from sin, turning away from sin, the kingdom is at hand, and the miracles are just simply to support and validate that. Also, uh, their travel instructions were actually quite unique. Um, He spoke about bread, a bag, money, tunics. And what those things collectively represent is a secure life. They were to go out, not from a a position of, okay, I got this, I got plenty to take care of myself, I'll go do this. They were to go out in in, in a spirit of need, if you will, um, and rely upon the Lord to, to provide all of their needs as they ministered. Now, another little, I want to kind of do a real quick lesson in a lesson here, if you will. Because if you're astute, you probably noticed, if you compared those three accounts about the tunics and the bag and the staff and the money and the bread and all those things, if you take those three accounts in the three, in the three synoptic Gospels, there are what look like some glaring differences. And so you may think, huh, what's with that? And so I just want, want to kind of do a real quick micro lesson here, if you will. Um, Matthew says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. That's Matthew. And Mark says this, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag. No money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And finally, Luke says, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. So obviously that looks like it's almost a contradiction, if you will. And some people have been um, distressed by that, disturbed. Um, So... If you'll remember when we talked about Sola Scriptura, we we asserted and agreed that we believe that the Scriptures are fully inspired by God, fully authored by the Lord, fully inerrant, and fully preserved. So there can be no errors nor contradictions. When I was uh, a kid and I was in a youth group, uh, the youth leader one time said something that really stuck with me, and this has really helped me when I encounter things like this. Here's what he said. Any time that you encounter an apparent contradiction in the Scriptures, that's exactly what it is. It's apparent. Did you get that? 
So I really dug into this, and I took my three study Bibles, and there's three passages of Scripture, three Bibles, three times three is nine, so I looked at nine different locations, and this is an easy resolution. Two parts to this, big picture and specific. What is Jesus saying to them? Just big picture. Here's what he's saying to them. Don't pack your bags. Don't take surplus. I will provide for you. Your Father will provide for you. You don't need all that stuff. You don't need to pack well, do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? I might need that. Y'all, have y'all packed like that before? Yeah, I might need that. Might as well take it. And so you got these two great big suitcases. Take the bare minimum. I will provide everything else you need. And then, even more specifically, the key here is in, is in the verse in Matthew. He says, acquire. In other words, what you already have is enough. He says, acquire no gold or silver, or copper for your belts. Acquire no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or staff. If you've got a staff, fine, take it. But don't get a second one. Don't get a better one. The one you've got is fine. You don't have one, that's also okay. Don't get new ones. you got sandals, you don't need a new pair. Just wear the pair you've got. There's the resolution there. So simple. Now, these items, you probably also notice, kind of have the echoes in them of the flight from Egypt. You remember the Lord said to the people of, uh, uh, of Israel when they were about to leave, the night they were going to leave Egypt the next day, you were, they were to eat the Passover meal with their sandals on, their staff in their hand, their belts girded, ready to go. And that kind of uh, is an echo or a shadow of, of, of the flight from Egypt. And the absence of these things meant you went in a spirit kind of in defenselessness, relying upon the Lord to protect you, trusting in God. He will take care. And once they arrived at their destination, um, their provisions were to be provided by those who heard the word, those who listened, and those who were willing to repent. They were to trust, the disciples were to trust in the Lord for their support. He is faithful. He has been faithful. He always will be faithful. He will care for your needs. Those who received the gospel were to share generously with the herald, those who preached the gospel. What a small thank you for hearing the word of eternal life. I mean, when they went into a home or someone repented, and turned to the kingdom. They were given their life, if you will. What a small thank you it is to provide food, shelter for the disciples. Jesus also, um, interestingly here, speaks about individuals and homes and towns. Kind of the reverse of what happened in Nazareth when he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives, and in his own home. Kind of a reversal there. I just found that really interesting. Once they arrived, they were to carefully select where they were going to be staying in that town. But once they knew, they were to stay there. They were to inquire who was worthy in that town. And worthy does not mean deserving. Worthy just simply means who was agreeable to hear the message. They were to... to say they were to find who was worthy, go to their home, stay there, eat whatever was put before them, not ask for anything different, don't go shopping around for a a better deal, 
They were to just land where they were to land, and they were to stay there while they were ministering the gospel in that home. Furthermore, Jesus told them that they were to go to the villages of Israel. They were to go to the lost sheep of the nation of Israel. They were not to go to the Gentiles, and they were not to go into Samaria. So you had the nation of Israel surrounded by the Gentile nations, plus Samaria, which were despised even worse than the Gentiles by the nation of Israel because they were the half-breeds. You know, they were the product of when, when uh, Israel and Judah, uh, hundreds of years before, were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. They left the undesirables there, the old, the lame, the, the, the weak, and, and they intermarried with the other nations, and that became what we know as Samaria. And they were despised even more than the Gentiles. And so Jesus said, don't go there, don't go to the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, Let me just say that Jesus did not forbid them from preaching the gospel to Samaritans or to Gentiles as they encountered them. I mean, obviously, there would have been Gentile and Samaritan movement in and among Israel. And they may encounter some of those folks. And Jesus did not say to to his disciples, don't even talk to them, don't preach to them. They just were not to go to those nations They were to stay within the boundaries of Israel and go to the lost sheep of Israel. After all, Jesus himself has already responded to Gentile faith. If you remember last week, we said there were only uh, two places where Jesus marveled. And one of those was the faith of a Gentile. The centurion, if you remember, whose servant was ill. And when Jesus heard his faith, Jesus turned to the Israelites and said, I have not seen faith like this in the entire nation of Israel. So so Jesus has responded to the Gentiles. They were not excluded from the gospel. It's just not yet time. Lay hold of that. It wasn't yet time. You know, Jesus did not explain to them, at least it's not recorded, of why he did not allow them to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. And without an explanation, they should still just obey. Because he is the king It's His kingdom, and you just simply obey. He commanded it, so we do it. They preach the gospel. In in Mark, they proclaim that people should repent. Mark says they cast out many demons. They anointed with oil. Uh, From uh, James 5, you remember, uh, James says to us, That if anyone is sick, let him come and call the elders to pray for him, and they should anoint him with oil. And the prayer offered in faith will heal them, and if they have committed any sin, it will be forgiven them. In the Scriptures, anointing with oil is representative of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so they were to do that as they prayed for those uh, who, who were sick and to heal them. But again, the gospel is the main message that they were to proclaim. And he said to them, freely you have received, freely give. You see, the disciples received the gospel at no cost. And they were to pass it on as well, just as freely. Jesus did not charge his disciples tuition. They were his students for free. Their life was given them. He paid for their life. He taught them. 
He invested in them. And they were to turn right around with the same spirit of freedom and proclaim the gospel for free. They were not to charge anyone to hear the gospel. They were not to have rallies and and, and, uh, sell tickets to it. They were to give as freely as they had received. They were permitted, of course, to accept basic support, as we said earlier, to live in a house, to, to stay in a house, to eat the food provided, roof over their head. But beyond that, they were to charge nothing. Remember, eternal life is a free gift. Also remember that the message of the gospel is also a message of judgment. Jesus said, if a house is worthy, let your peace remain on it. But if it is not, take it back. Let your peace return to you. Remember, Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace. But peace comes from repentance and reconciliation. Those who are unbelievers are not in good standing with God and therefore are not at peace. The peace that they desire comes from repenting and being reconciled to God. Remember at Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, the angel said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That message of peace is strictly for those with whom God is pleased. And He is pleased with those who repent and are reconciled to Him. And the test of judgment was this. Did they, Jesus speaking, did they listen to you and did they receive you? Did they hear? Did they even give you their attention? And having given you their attention, heard the gospel, did they respond? Did they receive you? And here is the judgment, the sentence, if they did not. Luke 10, uh, verses 10 to 11. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. Or, the way we would say it is, you had your chance. Jews who traveled into Gentile regions, it was very common for them when they returned back to Israel, as they came back into Israel, they would wipe off the dust from their feet of that region as a symbol that they rejected everything that was wrong with that nation. And actually what they would do the way this is worded here, they, they would wipe off the dust from their sandals, but what it really says here is that as they were traveling, that dust kind of got kicked up and it kind of uh, stuck to their garments. So what they would really do is they would shake off their garments, the dust from their feet that landed on their garments, and they would shake it off uh, as, as a symbol of rejection to all that was wrong. You remember in Acts 13, the Apostle Paul shook off the dust from Antioch. 
It says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Also in Acts 18, similar event happened. Every Sabbath, he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks alike. And when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself fully to the word, testifying to the Jews, to the Jews, that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and insulted him, he shook out his garments and told them, Your blood be on your own head. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And the dust has been shaken off from the nation of Israel for their hard-hearted unbelief. But let me say this, even in doing that, there is no human militancy happening here. There is no personal vengeance happening here. What is happening when you shake, when you shake the dust off of your feet is you are simply turning them over to God's judgment. And He will be the one who passes judgment and passes sentence on Him. They are left accountable to God. But Jesus says... What's going to happen? He says, It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that city in the day of judgment. That should terrify you. You remember those two cities were judged without warning by God personally. He did not send an army in to decimate the city. He personally sent fire and brimstone down on those cities and the surrounding cities and destroyed them with unbridled fury, personally. Those who reject Christ's gracious gift, the gracious gift of the gospel, will face a fate worse than depraved pagans who were killed in the divine judgment of those two cities. That sends a chill down my spine. Those who believe and repent are rewarded with eternal life. Those who disbelieve are judged and sentenced. In the gospel, in the kingdom of God, attempted neutrality, kind of like Switzerland, you know, we're neutral. Attempted neutrality is counted as disbelief and hostility. Remember, Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. There is no middle ground. In Mark 6, um, it says that the twelve returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And they, they, they had their debrief, if you will. They came back after their mission trip. We don't know how long they were gone. We don't know where they went. We don't know who was paired up with who. Um, We don't know any of that. But they came back 
to Jesus and said, here's what we did and here's what happened. And here's what happened in this city. And here's who believed and here's who disbelieved. And these demons were cast out and, and these folks were healed. And they proclaimed the, the, the success of the gospel. God provided for them and God worked. So in conclusion, let me ask you this. So what does this have to do with us? What is our takeaway? What, what are we to, to get from this? Well, obviously, perhaps some of you may, may be now or will in the future be called to a short-term mission. Whether that be to another country, another city, maybe God has called you to a short, short-term mission trip. And you should take this template in your mind and use that as your guidance of what it would be like, what it should be like as you go on that mission trip. I want to ask you this as a rhetorical question so you don't have to answer. How many of you have heard the scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for the work of the ministry. How many of you have heard that? The answer is none, because that's not what it says. What it says is this. He gave the God, gave the apostles, gave the prophets, gave the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God gave those offices in the church not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints to do the ministry. The obvious next question is, who are the saints? Well, if you have a background in Roman Catholicism, you've got some church history you got to, or, or tradition you've got to work through because their definition of a saint is not at all what the Bible says a saint is. First of all, you have to be dead. But a saint in the Bible... There, that's us. First Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those everywhere in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, their Lord and ours. In Philippians 4, all the saints greet you. The saints are us. We have been called to the work of the ministry. You see, Pastor Mark and Pastor Dave's, their ministry is to equip you, me, to do the work of the ministry. They are called a ministry, but their ministry is to, is to equip us to do the work of the ministry. So what would that look like? Well, I'll just jot it down a few examples. They are called to equip you to be a small group leader. They're called to equip you to be a volunteer at Northridge Elementary. They are called to equip you to teach our children. They are called to equip you to evangelism in your workplace and in your neighborhood and wherever else you are. They are called to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. I thought about having all of you at the same time say, I am a minister. But I thought, I'm not going to do that. Instead, we're going to do this. All together, we're going to say, the ministry 
is mine. Say that together. The ministry is mine. I was listening to a a pastor online who was preaching from this uh, passage here. And uh, he was standing up in front of his own congregation. And he got up there like this and he said to them, Can I be real with you? Can I be transparent with you? He said, You frustrate me sometimes. He said, I'm really frustrated that there's this expectation that I'm paid, and so it's my job to be the minister. And I'm the only one that's called a minister. He said, I get frustrated when I go to events in the city and the ministers are involved or invited. I get frustrated when we have uh, a potluck and somebody says, hey, pastor, would you pray? Because I'm the minister. He said, I'm frustrated with that. He said to his congregation, you are the ministers. I am to equip you to minister the gospel. Just like Jesus did his disciples and sent them out without him in his power and authority to minister the gospel. And so it should be. Now, there can be some reluctance, particularly in evangelism, to go out and minister. Um, you may say, well, what if somebody asks me a question that I don't know? You know what if somebody stumps me, and I'm, I'm trying to, to talk to them about spiritual truth, and they say, well, what about X? Well, I've thought about that, and it's probably going to happen. Because there's not a single person, not Dave, not Mark, not me, not you, any, any pastor on the face of the earth that has every answer to every question. And so, if you're asked a question you don't know, say, say, man, you know what, great question. I want to know too. But let me tell you what I do know. And bring them back to the gospel. You may be afraid of rejection. That's a, a biggie for me. And one day the Lord said to me, he said, Paul, you no longer have to fear anyone rejecting me at all. They already have. It's exactly why I'm sending you to them. They've already rejected me. Your job is to preach the gospel so that they will repent of their rejection and accept me. So you don't have to be afraid of them rejecting you. Maybe you're afraid of making a mistake. It's Mark's not here, so I can say this. He's made some faux pas up here. I mean, I've heard him. He's been preaching, and he will say something. He meant this, but he said that, but I, I understood. Okay, yeah, that was a, a faux pas. Even the best of us make mistakes like that. It's going to happen. Last week, I asked Sherry after, the, after um, church, I said, did I say that the book of James might have been the first book of the Bible that was written? Like, oh my gosh, it, the first book of the New Testament is what I meant to say, not the Bible. She's like, no, 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 you did okay. I was like, oh. It scared me a minute there. I, I, I might have said that. It happens. Just remember this. The glory is not yours. The glory is His. You are commissioned to glorify Jesus Christ, His kingdom. He is the King. In closing, I just want to, because um, we're talking about ministry here, I just want to, Briefly give a shout out to a couple of people, and neither one of them are here today. Phoenix Lundstrom and uh, Casey Bratcher. Um, yesterday, Phoenix, there's a, a woman here in the city who's destitute. Phoenix ministers to her, took her some food. She contacted uh, 
um, us and said, hey, she really has a need. She's living in a garage and there's no air conditioner. There's one there, but it's broken. So um, can you all help her out? And so I got with Casey and he and I went over there and my contribution was to hold a roll of duct tape while Casey wrestled that thing out, put another one in and fixed it all up. And this lady was so grateful. And as I was standing there in her home, um, if you could call it that, she said, oh, I wish I could pay you. And I said to her, God has been good to us. And we want to be good to you. And she said, please pray with me. So when we were done, we prayed with her. Freely you have received. Freely give. Would you stand with me? Lord, we're grateful for your word. We thank you so much, Father, for the free gift of salvation, our very lives, which we do not deserve. But you, by the sacrifice of your Son, have given us the free gift of eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that everyone who does not know you will hear the gospel, repent and believe. Lord, I pray as you've commissioned us that we would be obedient to you to go forth as your emissaries and ambassadors and representatives and faithfully preach the gospel without charge to further your kingdom. I ask it of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take communion now. The scriptures say that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, by Judas Iscariot, after supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat of it in remembrance of me. If you would, take a moment, and when you're ready, take the bread individually as a symbol of our individual relationships with Jesus Christ. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, take and drink of this. This is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. Let's take the cup together as a symbol of our corporate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's good to be here. If you'd put your hands in a receiving position and I want to pronounce the benediction, you'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Freely you have received. Now, freely give.
Amen.